Hi, I'm Jim. And I'm David. And this is the Practical Guitarist Podcast. The podcast for people who eat, sleep, and breathe guitar. Hello, Jim. Hello, David. That was a terrible, terrible job I just did there. We clapped, and then I just said hello, and, and I didn't count hello. us off. And I feel like I gave us some really bad juju this evening. Um, it's one of those days, man. <laughs> we'll is live. It really hot? We will survive. I, I is it really hot and humid it. where you are? Um, it was like. 88, 89 today, and it's humid. We live in a swamp, you know, Chicago, smelly swamp. Yeah. That's the whole thing. And, oh, I uh, lived I lived right on that freaking lake, man. Yeah, yeah. And um, <laughs> so it was... I know the feeling. It, it was fairly nasty. I spent the afternoon in Naperville, and um, we were grilling, and I got a lot of smoke in my eyes and in my face, and it was not a, it was not a fun uh, experience. How's that to... Smoke gets in your eyes. Well, so I didn't set up the grill. Normally, I would turn it so that the smoke is blowing away from me, but the grill was already set up when I got there, and I was like, oh, I just have to deal with it. No, I was actually at my brother's uh, today. Oh. Yeah. Um, oh, he he's got his own place again. He no, he's he's always had his own place. He hasn't he hasn't oh, lost okay. it yet. I he's he just was, moved back in, and he's been back yeah. and forth through the health concerns and everything else. It's like a yeah. whole. Like, it's like, where's he at today? Um, but no, he's in, good, he's in good shape right now. He's at home. And uh, so we, we did the Father's Day thing down there. But um, I've been back since like 530-ish. And I just like, I came home and I took aspirin or something because I, I had a massive headache. And then uh, yeah, given, I think it was the smoke and the heat. And so I went and I passed out for a little bit. And I put a timer on my phone and I waited on Jim. Yep. And now we're here. Um, I don't... <laughs> I was playing Animal Crossing. Mm -hmm. I was just because I was doing something mindless, so that if, once you said we were ready, I could just drop off. So I turned in all the fish to Timmy and Tommy and whatever it is. Well, I got the. I did get to do something really cool yesterday. I got to meet up with uh, show listener uh, Mike Mara. Um, yeah. We went to Good Time, and he's looking for an amp, so we did some amp shopping. And uh, I had, uh, you know, they, they, and by the way, if you haven't gone amp shopping in, in COVID-19 masks, like <laughs> you haven't lived, my friend, you have not lived. Um, yeah. About every 20 to 30 minutes, I wanted to go outside of the store and take my mask off and just stand there and like let the air hit my face. <laughs> um, yeah. It was it was an experience, to say the least. Actually, some cool stuff happened. Um he played the Fillmore. He really likes the Fillmore. He's going to look at some other stuff probably. Um, but I, I, I have a strong feeling that the Fillmore will probably end up being the amp there. And um, he played it. And then we did – I had the Fillmore profiles from HW. Um, no endorsement here. Um, and I hucked those on there. And then we played the Fillmore profiles against um, the, Fillmore. the actual Fillmore. And the differences between them were like – not a whole lot. Yeah. Um, obviously, they weren't tweaked the same. The, the however, right. HW tweaked the amp. He tweaked it differently than than Mike had it set up. But you could tell they were the same amp. Yeah. And um, we, 
we did have like I let Mike play it for a minute and then he was like he's like it doesn't feel the same and I turned the compressor off and he's like okay <laughs> like all right there it is <laughs> you know because um, there was a, so for whatever reason HW puts a lot of uh, compression on the front of his um, his profiles sometimes and in that case like that totally cleaned up the profile um, the the, the uh, touch sensitivity since we turned the compressor off it felt like a you know a Fillmore does um so i'm preparing for gear fest um yeah i saw the list of uh of um celebrities so to speak for it oh yeah i actually wanted to go through some of them on the show um let me pull it up uh so they're doing it online this year obviously they've canceled the in-person event for you know obvious reasons. Um, and they finally did the finalized list of who's going to be presenting. So among the notables for guitar players, um, for people that are like really into guitar players, uh, you got Nile Rogers, you got Slash. Yep. Yep. Um, I'm looking forward to Nile Rogers a lot. Um, I am too. Looking to see who else here steps out to me. Richie Faulkner. Um, yep. Which I think he's done it before, but not recently. Um Ricky Skaggs is going to be on there. Billy Gibbons, uh, Todd yeah. Rundgren. Um, the only question I have for Todd Rundgren is how did he get the car crash sound in uh, in Battle to Hell? Um, Lita Ford will be there, uh, and it'll be interesting to see how much they try to emulate like the real Gear Fest experience this year. So I'm going to kind of rate them on a scale of one to ten as to how <laughs> how much it's like the real Gear Fest when you actually go there. Um, some some notables that we saw last year, uh, we saw Fab Dupont's session last year, and he's a mixing engineer, producer, educated, and multi-instrument musician. Um, he was there on behalf of UAD and did a mixing session with... Um, I don't remember what the name of the other gentleman that he was with, but he was like a, like a four time Grammy winner and a pop producer. And I oh, learned geez. a ton from that session. Um, they were showing things that I was like, wait a minute. Like this, these light bulbs started going off. Um, one of the bass drum sounds they showed on one of the songs had like nine compressors on it. And ah. it was, and it was like just like a half a DB of compression here and like a half DB here. And it added up as they started muting and unmuting these, these, I mean, it, like it just completely created the sound. And I just sat there and I went, wow. And, and they, and they explained why they were like, okay, so each compressor is an EQ, like an EQ basically. And they're just using right. it for, for filtering and shaping. Yeah. Um, and they sort of know what the recipe is because they've done it before. Um, and I, you'll as you like sit through the sessions. If you if you take in some of the studio sessions, if you're a recording guy, you're gonna learn some stuff because some of these people like they're on another level and they're gonna talk about things that you're just like, oh, you know, this is I can actually apply this, especially plugins. You can do that at home. You know, that's just how powerful is your PC and how many plugins can I run at any given time. Um, right. So I would highly encourage you to check out some of the other like kind of offbeat sessions. Um, and just looking here to see who else is like highly. Yeah, I think it's important to, to check out production, um, you know, recording, that kind of thing. Well, Alan Parsons I, is going to be there too, so that's another. Yeah, Alan Parsons is is going to be a presenter, and I definitely want to see that one. Yeah, 
Uh, if you're not familiar with Alan Parsons project, uh, he was also involved with the Beatles, Paul McCartney, you know, Pink Floyd, just to name yeah. a couple of them. <laughs> the Dark Side of the Moon, an album yeah. nobody heard of. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't think you'll want to actually watch that. that it does probably just skip it, you know. It was all garbage. I mean, uh, you know, the Alan Parsons pe- project, games people play, and turn him a friendly card. Yeah. I really garbage. hope. I really hope that Niles. Now Rogers actually does like an educational session and then it's not just yeah. like a live performance thing because that guy's got some stuff to share. Like, yeah, he's a dude that anybody in our group could learn from. Um, I love how watching him use um, his use of double stops. And uh, a lot of times when he does, does presentations and um, stuff like that, a lot of times he'll have where he shows how he uses two and three note chords his dyads and triads to really open up a song and how he layers his stuff. So it'd be pretty cool. Yeah. It's, it's going to be a, it's going to be good. I, I, I was surprised because um, when they announced the first three main like presenters, I was like, eh, you know, good, yeah. but not as good as it has been. And then they, and then this came out last week and I was like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Hands yeah. Up, I, but I, I, tell, I get it now. <laughs> and there's three people I don't want to miss. It's slash. Nile and uh, Alan. Yeah, I mean yeah. those are the three I I don't want to miss at all. Well, you're not I, I miss any of them because they're because they're gonna. The thing. Yeah, so like I say, yeah. they're all gonna be available. So it's not like you're gonna miss out on anything. Right, um, right. I just kind of want to watch them live. I don't know. We mentioned last week, folks. So what we're gonna try to do is do a like a um, uh, live uh, uh, reaction videos. So. Yeah, yeah. If you well, guys want to join in? We're gonna we be, got plenty gonna, of channels in the Discord. What we're well, it'll be the Discord, but we'll probably actually do the Facebook group thing. There's like a right. room, they have Facebook oh, rooms, yeah, yeah, yeah. rooms now. Facebook room, Facebook and you can room. go into the Facebook room, and it's a video chat thing. I want to give everybody the heads up because it's not been around too much if you haven't used it yet. It's basically just go in, your webcam shows up, and then you can talk to people, and we can watch stuff live, you know, and and I'll be watching the same stream, or we can be, you know, just in there talking about what we're buying because that's another big component of this, obviously, is the sales stuff. Um, I spoke yeah, to, yeah. I spoke to my rep last week. I did a lot of prep for this episode. Um, can you tell that this may actually eclipse uh, regular prep for my normal every day-to-day life occurrence? thing um so i spoke with my sweetwater rep this week i asked him some questions about some products i'm looking at but um just got some general impressions about you know the word on the street and how things are actually going to go with gear fest um the discounts will be significant um they're talking about um because they moved warehouses and stuff there's a lot of speculation because obviously they don't know what the discounts are yet um right there's a lot of speculation that they are things that are not moving out of the other warehouse into the new warehouse. And then it would be better if we could just sell out the old warehouse and that kind of thing. Um, so I suspect even though the shipping thing will probably still get tacked back on to the prices that they will be deeply discounting regardless. Um, whereas the discounts in person are usually 30 to 35% on pretty much everything. I would suspect you're going to see. And remember this is for anybody who orders online. I would suspect 20 to 25% which is still pretty darn good. And on this stuff that they work with the the retailer on is probably going to come down even more than that. There's usually a yeah. few brands that have like deep discounts going on during GearFest. Um, and it changes year to year. It just depends on who's willing to play ball. Um, I'm hoping to snag some tune track stuff, some software. Um, 
and usually not a super deep discount, but enough that it's attractive to buy stuff from Toon Track during Gear Fest. Um, I'd like to get some some drum packs. I'm gonna get the base uh, the base software they just came out with. That's that's a goal of mine. Um, I'm I gotta get a reverb pedal. That's gotta happen. Uh, I'd like right. to get a vibe pedal, but I haven't found one that I'm like head over heels with that they sell. Uh, there may be if I it just depends on who's discounted what. And if it w- winds up being that there's an inexpensive dry pedal there, I'll probably throw money at that um, just so I can finish my board, like have a working board. Um, maybe at some point in the future, then I'll get the dry bell vibe machine. If you've been talking to me in the group or whatever, you probably know that's the one I'm after. Um, but yep. I I sort of know like that's a 300 plus dollar pedal. And right now I don't want to spend that kind of money because I've already bought some stuff going into Gear Fest. Um, and I'll talk about that in a second, uh, knowing full well that like I was going to pay full price for it and not caring. Um, and that was to help out a local shop. So that's another thing. If you've got local dealers, uh, I would actually encourage you to think about whether you would rather keep your local dealers open than to buy from Sweetwater Mm -hmm. on a discount. Um, granted, you know, 20, 25%. At least give your at least give your local retailer a, a swing, and I would say right. call up your local shop and be like, "Hey, look, they got this on sale over here. Can you do me a similar deal? It doesn't have to be the same. Right. Even if it comes in at more, if they're willing to play ball with you, keep them open. Go spend the money over there. Um, and even even um, uh, my my rep said, you know, don't feel obligated like you should buy from Sweetwater. Like there are mom and pops that are hurting right now." And Sweetwater will survive. Like, this is not a problem for us. This is, you know, this is a problem that's hurting your local communities. Um, and we, we had a conversation about actually um, local venues opening and closing. And um, we had actually the one that I, I met Michelangelo Badio at. Uh, they're gone. They're not opening. Wow. They're they're done for. Um, wow. And... Uh, there, there are several others near me that have like kind of said that they're probably not reopening. Um, I, when I went out today, so today the, we're recording on Father's Day, folks, and so yeah. when I went out today to have lunch with my son um, for Father's Day, uh, he said, "You want to go to get Mexican food?" And we were going to one of my favorite Mexican restaurants. And uh, it was gone. Um, That's the first time you like take a step back and you're like, whoa, like uh, now I know that they have three restaurants and they might have just closed that one. But that's staff. That's local people that don't have jobs. anymore. My daughter's dentist. Um, they're done. Yeah, they sh- they close up shop. Um, they're chain. So the other locations yeah. are open, but. Anybody who worked at that location, you're done. You know, so we had Thai food. Now, Friday night, I went out. um, No, Saturday night. I'm sorry, Saturday night, last night. I went out um, after the gym. uh, And I got there at nine thinking I had plenty of time. um, And I got to see the band play for half an hour. Uh, they did a did a strict ten o'clock curfew. Everybody had to be done at ten. Um, so the band cl- closed up shop at nine forty five or so. And uh, excuse me, they 
they had to um, have everybody out. So they really wanted the band to close up earlier than that. So I went out and saw my friends, uh, the detonators. And uh, great guys, great, great folks. Um, uh, female lead singer, uh, really good band. Anyway, they, uh, they had to close up. Um, and I went down the street just in time to catch the last couple songs for the next band. They were closed up, but they both, the both places were able to do indoor outdoor seating. So being at half capacity, wasn't a problem for them. Either one. Um, now the one I, I had to give them props for ingenuity. They did not have usually outdoor seating. So what they did was they set up a rented tent with sides. Cause we've had a lot of rain, mm-hmm. uh, with the zipper sides, they had a big old rented tent with the you know the clear zipper sides on the on the thing, and they had them rolled up because we didn't have any rain at that point, and uh, they took up almost half the parking lot. Uh, but, a, lo- a lot of the people I know from open mics locally, they're out playing right now, um, and they're playing at like breweries and stuff. Who was set up for outdoor seating. Um, we don't see a lot of the tents up here. I don't think the tent business was as big a deal, uh, in our area. And right. so it's harder for people to get a hold of tents. Yeah. Um, Virginia beach. We've got a ton of them. Yeah. I mean, they're renting and you can tell like the rented furniture is garbage. <laughs> like when you sit on a, uh, one of the folding chairs and you feel like it's going to break, you know, it's no, like- these guys did, they did it right. They bought, uh, new tables, yeah. um, and set them up outside. Uh, I had to give them props. They 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 opened up uh, uh, one of the glass doors. They had it changed to where it did the sliding thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if it slid before that, but it it, it didn't typically uh, get used. But anyway, props to them. Props yeah. to the uh, Old Beach Tavern. Um, then uh, I'm going to uh, open mic Thursday night. Good luck with that. Um, we're actually so the way our governor has structured our plan uh, yep. is that we have so we've already been through phase one, two, and three. Yep. Um, we're in phase three right now, which is considered to be recovery, which means that um, we've been trending downward and and that we've had uh, decreasing cases in our area. Um, yep. That right now we are supposed to be limited to ten people or fewer in in a building. In like a, a retail establishment, a small retail establishment. It doesn't right. apply to groceries and stuff like that. Um, but basically 10 people or fewer. Uh, we still have to wear face coverings. Um, social distancing is still the norm. Um, basically, the uh, stuff that's open is pretty much everything except for restaurants who are outdoors and bars. Bars are completely closed um, unless you sell food. Wow. And then it has to be outdoors. Okay. So phase four changes everything because phase four is gatherings of 50 50 people or fewer are allowed restaurants and bars reopen okay so now we can start to see music come back to the area um in full force uh i would say i have not been to an open mic night where they had 50 people in a club um so i think that's gonna sort of shift things and then again if you have a bar area versus seating area i suspect when that rule comes down from the governor it'll be like okay so you can have this many people in the bar area but you have you know there's going to be some rules and restrictions but i i think by the time we get to phase five which should probably should probably be in by august um we will probably 
be back to you know kind of business as usual except that phase five still says um that they want to see a vaccine or highly effective treatment available so we could be looking at January next year for phase five, in which case it's basically back or, to normal. Or June, with, yeah. Back to normal with we're, new safety provisions. That's so we're, I mean, we're not back to 100% normal, mm-hmm. but we're, uh, it's kind it, of voluntary to wear a mask. It feels um, better. It feels better now. Like you're not like freaking out when you know you're going out and like thinking about were, things, but people were up dancing, they were having a good time. Uh, everything else and the numbers down here and, and anybody who wants to uh, to verify what I'm saying, um, you can go to Johns Hopkins um, coronavirus.jhu.edu, pull up the U.S. map. Um, if you go slash U.S. dash map, you can you can see it anyway. Uh, we are uh, some of our cities have zero new cases. Virginia Beach had six. Um, my city had 12. We had, we it's, had, we had a it's peak. incredibly low. We numbers. had, we had a peak in our state of 4,000 cases a day. Yeah. We are now, we, hover, never, we never even got to that number. We're now hovering around 600 to 700 cases a day, which is, yeah. I mean, if you know Chicago, that's peanuts. Um, and in yeah. the state of Illinois, that's peanuts. It's a very popular yeah. state because of Chicago area. Um, so, so the, yeah, so the county cases, our county, which has um, 89,000 people in it, has had 356 cases total. That's throughout. So no, is Virginia, uh, Be- is Virginia um, Beach a county or is it a municipal? Are they, are they like a municipal self-governing thing? Okay. It's, yeah, it's both. Um, sorry, Chesapeake, uh, that, was, that was Suffolk. Chesapeake has, I knew that was a small number, 237,000 people. We've had 721 cases overall. Yeah. The the percentage, we've had 16 deaths. And as, you know, as sad as it is, um, that's minuscule. That's flu season. That's car, ca- that's car accidents. That's shootings, stabbings. Yeah. Um, our, our deaths are down to 22 or something a day. It's, it's, I mean, it, that's a lot. We, we're having like, don't, zero. don't play that, but I'm just saying like, yeah. it's, you know, as par- far as, Per day, when they opened things back up a few weeks ago, that was twelve. So we've had we've had four in the last couple weeks. The most significant we had the significant day was one hundred ninety one. So yeah. put it in perspective, like where, things are trending. But down. you have millions of people. Yeah, um, we're not we're not Texas, where like they're having an explosion of cases right now. Um, right. And I don't know exactly why some of these states are now blowing up. And obviously, if your state's doing that, I'm sorry that you're going to have to give up music for a while. Uh, a while more or continue on that process but it really seems like it's going to be a hard sell for you to keep going into clubs and risking yourself or and others um, yeah exactly I mean um, not just that to this put is it... super dangerous but like you shouldn't downplay it either because you can no. give it to somebody else and kill them you know right well in, in Virginia Beach there's 450,000 people in Virginia Beach all told they had 956 cases since the beginning and only 27 deaths. And, out of, and and again, what we don't know about these deaths is whether they were the people died of or with the disease. And that's that's the most that that article right there. Um, 
even the CDC now is starting to weed through those numbers though, and that's changing pretty pretty regularly. Yeah. Even in our state, like I've watched the uh, the what they call the ratio or whatever change significantly because the CDC is asking them to go back and say, no, we're not accepting these, you know? Um, so and I think that eventually we're going to get to a more reasonable idea of what's going on. God, I hate yeah. that we're doing the and our, coronavirus update on, on our I podcast, know. but we are. Um, well, it's, I think it's important to, I don't want people to think that when I'm going out to these things, I'm going I, I'm I'm endangering my son or or myself. We've been very. As a matter of fact, here's what's funny. Um, this is the first year I didn't even get a cold, and I can't say how long. Um, so uh, the sniffles you hear are because I have allergies, and it's been raining really hard here, which means the pollen count is through the roof right now. Um, and I take I, I was taking Zizol, and I went off Zizol for a while. Um, and now I'm on, um, and then I went a better drill. Now I'm back on Zizol, but it's just to keep the body shocked and yeah, stuff. Yeah. So, but I just don't want people to think, oh, Jim is is talking out his butt and he doesn't have any numbers or anything to, you if, know, he's if, just one of those people. If you're wondering I, what I, one of anybody people. <laughs> If our audience or you is wondering what I'm looking at, I'm looking at my phone because I actually shared a video right before the um, we started the episode, and it was um, I shared it with a friend of mine, and it is a video of Brad Paisley at a, at a jam session somewhere in Nashville playing with Robin Ford. Yeah, that's <laughs> and, cool. And it's like a whole like a, a whole night of those two guys just killing each other. Um, yeah, and, and it's kind of enlightening because. I'll tell you, Robin Ford's tone in the cell phone videos, at least, doesn't cut <laughs> at all. Like, you can barely hear him at times. Um, but Brad is, like, absurdly overpowered. <laughs> um, anyway. Yeah. Um, he plays, he does not play with a light, uh, he's got a whole uh, rail of amps that come out on stage. He's, he's, only, he's, no, he's like only Bill playing, Bottom he's only got He's only got a mass behind him, it looks like. So it's not oh, the, like it's not, video, as, yeah, yeah, it's not as typical rig. Oh yeah, for sure. He yeah. goes, but you know what? They don't run all those. So like one's no. for one song and one's for another. Um, he does, yeah, he's, stage volume is quiet. Running, he's typically wanting a wet, dry rig. Yeah. So he's got a, yeah, he's got one that's really wet and one that's really dry and they mix those remotely. Um, good sound though. I've so, seen him live. So it's good sound. <laughs> I'll tell you. We were, we were talking about being tired. Uh, <laughs> Before the thing, we kick things off. So, folks, there's my, um, for those who didn't see it in the Facebook page, there's my CopTIA certificate hanging behind my head. For those people who are only listening, it's, I'm pointing. Jim uh, is now CopTIA certified. I am Security Plus certified. Congratulations. Let's never talk about it again. Uh, yeah, let, let's <laughs> just say that. That's how that works. It was, I would, yeah, fifty bucks a year to keep it. I'm keeping it. I am not going through that hell again. Oh, you that have to. You crazy. have to take it again after three years. No. Oh, not I if thought you, you keep, had to. Uh, yeah, no, not if you keep up. Um, your you have to do CES. So every year you pay fifty dollars and they give you. It's it's not an on. It's not a test. Oh, test, so it's a continuous improvement thing and you just, okay. Yeah. Good. So um, so when I choose to if whether or not I'm going to do that, then I'll know. <laughs> I don't have to. Yeah, do any again. of their any of their certifications you can maintain by paying fifty dollars a year, and any employer worth their salt is going to refund you fifty bucks a year to 
maintain that. Uh, honestly, I don't even care if they would because it's it's, it's such a boon to have that. If you work in software, oh, yeah. if you work in the tech industry, get certified. If you if you can afford it and you want to spend oh, yeah. your time to do it, even if you do something like so, I I critique a lot of these certifications because I've I've looked at them in the past. Um, Microsoft CS MCSE Systems Engineer. I was yep. Okay, so I could go do a MSC, MCSE. I'll tell you right now, I've already looked at the material for MCSE. I can pass probably 80% of it without even cracking a book. But the the stuff that kills me is like that last 20% is all advertising. It's stuff that nobody uses that they're, they're oh, this is a big feature of our product. And yep. nobody's going to use it. Like, here's how you load balance, you know, SQL in two locations, you know, with, I mean, it's like nobody's using that. Not not in the not in the kind of jobs I I work at would I ever use that. It's it's totally ridiculous for me to even and and for me like I've never had to certify I'm going to these situations and it's usually like okay, you know your stuff. They may ask me like a programming question as part of the or um or like a how would you do this with PowerShell or how would you do this with SQL kind of question. So I got my current job actually. Um write me a SQL statement. And I, right. and I just, I, I didn't even write it down. I said it, I like said it out loud and it was like, okay, he knows what he's talking about, you know, and that was enough. Um, so I, the certification I think is, is important because I think in a lot of jobs, they want to make sure that you've actually like put the time in and that yeah. you're really serious about your career. But I think in terms of knowledge for, for it related stuff, it's not as critical unless you're in a government sector or if you're in a corporate it's sector. Right. In government, it's it's mandatory because they got to have some way of saying um, to the public, hey, we made sure this person was certified. Yep. Because uh, after John Snowden, <laughs> Snowden blew it for all of us. I'm gonna <laughs> um, so, yeah. He, and, and I'm being serious about that one. Um, and uh, so. I had been since I was. Since I left the Navy, which was in 1999, I've gone to Red Hat Enterprise Linux courses. Um, I've been to where you would get a certification if you wanted to. I was an MCP and an MCSE for a while. Um, I was, uh, um, you know, uh, oh, Cisco certified. Um, uh, they had... Um, I think they still do the uh, the same thing where you you build uh, what was it? You build an office, then you build um, a building, and then you build a campus, and then you build a, a bigger WAN than a campus. So, it, and there were different certifications based on that, and I can't remember one. One of them's got the word campus in it. The other one's got the whole WAN thing in there. But I. I I never thought that I needed again, so I let everything lapse, and that was stupid. So I don't recommend that. So back to Sweetwater for a minute. So Sweetwater cancels the the, the in person event, right? Yeah. Um, what if you're the you're like the guy who for who doesn't forget, but doesn't get the notification that it was canceled, and you show up at Sweetwater. Expecting the event to go on, like you drive from out of state or something. Could you imagine what that would be like to show up there and they're like, "There's no tents." They can't let you in. No, they're they're the stores open. 
Um, oh. But so like you walk in and the store's open, your rep comes down, shakes your hands like, hey, how's it going? Uh, and then you're like, yeah, so where's everything at? <laughs> and you slide down the slide leave. How bad would it be like if your rep was like, if your rep is just standing there like having this conversation where he's like, um, we're kind of not doing it in person this year. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, uh, that would be like, dude, seriously? Um, <laughs> well, I don't think you could, like every year you had to, uh, you had to register. You still have to register for the online one. I'm not sure what that's all about, but you're uh, registering. It's, it's basically entering you in giveaways. That's actually what it is. Oh, um, okay. And, and they're doing a giveaway every hour. Yeah. Um, so I don't know, like, I haven't gotten any credentials or anything from them yet. Um, there might be, like, a private, you know, session or something. Uh, right. I do know that companies, even though there's not going to be a Summer Nam, are starting to release gear, new gear. Um, Mesa Boogie has a new line of pedals. Um, that yeah, was... I'm kind of interested in checking those out. Yeah, they've got some, some interesting stuff, um, and it, I'm actually kind of intrigued because um the last batch of pedals is pretty well received and um it's been several years been been at least five years since those came out um so and now they're adding on let's, let's talk about gear for a second because we we had a conversation at the beginning for that mm -hmm. so um you, we were both talking about we were making light of a lot of these podcasters that have like 18 20 guitars hanging behind them yeah and it's like and and mine are actually over here. David David said because I only had two, and and he goes, well, there's another. I said, yeah, it's hanging over here on a wall. You can't see. Well, he's he's still got an empty spot there. Like this is this so is like my OCD no, there is, is like nuts on that, this. It's in its case over here, but it doesn't matter. These are the three I play almost all the time. So the one in the middle is because the one in the middle gets played the most. And then the other two get played. And not because I like the one in the middle the most. It just happens to be the one I grab. And we were talking about that. It's like, it, you, you, it, so I was listening to one podcaster. I don't want to throw out names. I don't want to do that. But one podcaster was saying, yeah, I, these are my favorite guitars. These are the, the, these are the ones I play. And, it, and he's got literally in frame 30 guitars or 25 guitars. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, okay, there's 24 hours in a day. Sometimes you got to eat. Sometimes you got to sleep. And you're a podcast, or I mean, you're a YouTuber. Which, sorry, which is like a six-hour-a-day job. I mean. Which is, yeah, three or four hours a day. And and you're editing. You're not, it, it, except for when you're crunching the video, um, you know, exporting it, you're kind of busy and you can't <laughs> have your fingers doing this that's an understatement and thinking, yeah and i'm thinking you can't give 10 minutes a day to those you can't give one song a day to those all those guitars and um it kind of it kind of resonated with me because owning i, I would think if this is me personally i don't know i can't vouch for other people but i know when i owned a lot of guitars and i had them out out of their cases and everything i get what do they call it uh uh something paralysis, paralysis. So like do i play the strat with this or do i play <laughs> like 
do I play the Strat with humbuckers? Do I play the Les Paul? Do I play the P90s? Do I play, you know, do I play the PRS? Do I play the, sure, you know, and, and it starts getting where, even when I was playing bass, I had five or six basses and I would go, do I play the Fender? You know, because I, I had, I actually had three Fenders. I had a Jazz, I had a um, Deluxe Precision. Yeah, which is basically a, all um, you need for bass ever. Yeah. <laughs> and I had a four, yeah, and I actually didn't need two of them. <laughs> and I had uh, um, a wire or a fretless Jazz because they didn't make a fretless Precision. I'm right. actually more a Precision guy than a, than a Jazz guy. Yeah, and I, I like Jazz bass myself, but. Yeah, and and everybody's got a different preference for that. It, for me, you know, it's always about, the, and then I had my Rickenbackers, like, okay, and then I had um, another bass, and, I had, and I'm like, and I had a, a LTD, and I had another one, and I almost always just played the Precision, I would switch in and out, um, and unless I was doing old Pink Floyd, I stuck with the Precision, because for the Pink Floyd stuff, I was doing the, um, uh, the Rickenbacker. Really? Um, yeah, but... It's because Roger Waters was a um, was a uh, Rickenbacker user back then. I'm talking about Arnold Lane and that yeah, kind of yeah, thing. like the early, early stuff, all um, the way up. Yeah, all the way up to time. And then he switched to playing a precision or a jazz, one of the two. I didn't really follow which one. He, I didn't care. I thought he was a jazz guy, but I'm not sure. I, Waters, is, I'm not sure. Yeah, Waters' tone didn't matter to me that much. Yeah. And it was funny because I loved Getty Lee, and Getty Lee then admitted that most of the records were were with freaking uh, precision, or I mean, with a jazz bass. And I was like, ah, you son of a... <laughs> um, well, his, yeah, he's it's been just a jazz guy for a long, them. long time, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I mean, personally, uh, when I was younger, I had one main guitar, and then I have like three in cases... And they would never get played. Uh, I would play the main guitar constantly. And yep. it got to the point where when I got my first like quality guitar, and I mean quality is what I spent a lot of money on, right? Um, yep. That became the main, right? And that was my SRV Strat. Um, and I played that a lot. And I almost never played any of my other ones. Um, but now... That's all changed, and it's not really just the tonality differences. Like, that's not really what drives what's going on here. Um, actually, I just like to have different stuff to play. I get bored. Um, yeah. And and in all actuality, I probably play one guitar a day. Uh, there's no rotation. It's just, what did I pick up that day? Um, right. And I do play my seven-string a lot when I'm, you know, like rehearsing because my music uses a seven-string a lot. Um, and it's probably going to continue that way, but I tend to like air more on the side of my six strings, uh, when I'm playing around the house or I'm jamming along with tracks or, um, if I was to go to a, to like a jam night, I might take a six string instead. Um, because I yeah. have had issues taking the seven. I, I know that people like, if you're not super familiar with a seven and you see me playing chords on the low B <laughs> translating that it like doesn't work for certain people. So it, you're you're more going to be more successful if you take a six, um, right? And I have two sixes. I mean, I have my uh, my S five hundred here, and then I have my Golden LG P ninety. Um, and if I if I'm studious in my editing, I will remember to put those somewhere on the screen here, so that you can see what those right. guitars actually look like. Where you can see. Um, and then I have the Kiesel, of course. Uh, I have a white Stratocaster. Um, 
I oh, don't yeah, yeah. think it's great a great player. People still like that guitar. They ask me about it all the time. I have a red GNL Legacy that I bought as a pickup mule for the show. Um, which, by the way, the P90s are coming. Uh, I literally cannot get an hour to install pickups um, and do the video. So um, that's probably going to happen this week because I've got some vacation time scheduled for Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Um, which I, I, will, not be tra- I will not be driving. So hopefully that will get done this week. Um, which is funny because I actually made those pickups last year when I was at GearFest, or I made one of them anyway. Um, and so uh, there will be a whole, the video will include um, me making them. There's, I have footage of that, um, a conversation with Nick about them as we were doing it, uh, which is really yeah. interesting, and you learn a lot from that. I don't think we actually filmed the whole process. We filmed most of it. Um, and, of course, I'll have a little blurb talking about pickups. I'll, inst- I'll do yep. a before and after um, I'm going to try to play in a mix of some sort, probably just one of my songs and, uh, give people an idea of what they sound like. Um, and then we'll give them away, right? That's, that's what yeah. we do here. So if you're interested and you want to follow along with the show and you're following us on your YouTube, this is the first time you listen to us on YouTube or watch us on YouTube, please hit the like and subscribe button below. Um, I don't like to say that every episode, but that's how you can find out when we do the giveaway. So, um, there's that. And then uh, we got some new T-shirt designs coming too. So while we're on this whole like, you know, here's how you yeah. follow the show. Teespring. Um, we're we're switching over to Teespring. Um, yeah. I revamped some of the designs that we've already done. Uh, we have yeah, one, I one, one up now. We're waiting on them to come in to do the proof, and then once the proofs yeah. are good, then we'll, you know, open the floodgates for everybody. Uh, I think this design is really cool. But, um, yeah. you know, maybe maybe people won't like it. Um, yeah, so I, I ordered the pedal one on, in yeah, blue. Yeah, that's the only one that's up right now. Um, I'm actually, I've got the, the, the tonal hierarchy is going to move over as well. Um, and I'm going to do another one with our logo. Uh, I've got some cool ideas for that. Um, cool. But, you know, just it's it's going to happen. And then there will be more challenge, uh, choices for you to support the show if you, if, if right. you so choose. Um, so... Yeah, let's let's go back. So to the option paralysis thing, sometimes I I got to be honest with you. So I got two amps here, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes my option paralysis, what amp? <laughs> or it'll be, I'll be like, I want to drive the signal. Which drive pedal am I going to use? Or which fuzz pedal am I going to I got Now I got two fuzzes, effectively, because the M5050, the, uh, Pretty is set pretty fuzzy. Um, I'm like, do I use 50 50 on the higher gain side? Do I use the you know uh, the uh, dark side? Um, and you know how like I don't know it's because of what COVID did, or I have no gear envy. I have zero. I don't care. You probably have more choices than you know what to do with is probably your yeah. problem. I'm already where I'm like, do I use the caverns or do I use the MXR? Um, carbon and copy deluxe. Here's what's really going to drive you nuts, Jim. Does it matter? Yeah, that's it. Do I use the Univibe? Do I use the MXR uh, um, Eddie Van Halen Phase 90? Do I, do I use the, the chorus pedal? It's like, at that point, yeah, it, it, does it really matter? Well, that's, and, that's why I trimmed my board down to nothing. I mean, because yeah. I was like, 
I don't need all this crap. I need a drive. I need a fuzz. I need, uh, and of course I have two fuzzes because the only reason being that one works well with everything and then one works really well in certain situations. Uh, and then I have like a, a preamp and I'm going to add a reverb and a univibe and that's it. There's nothing yeah. else on my board and there won't be. There's no reason to have anything else. Like for me, I, I just need stuff to stomp on when I'm like, okay, so I need a little bit drive. Hit the drive pedal. You know, like I don't yeah. need, I don't, I used to be the guy who's like, I want every pedal for every possible situation. Like I want, uh, I, I want a, a big muff and a fuzz face so I can hit the big muff for this and yeah. the fuzz face for that. Like it just got nuts to the point where I was buying switching systems and I suddenly started to realize, what am I doing? Like I'm going to yeah. use a driven amp. I'm going to run a, friggin' overdrive into it or I'm gonna run a fuzz like that's basically the way that 95% of my sounds work and once I once I took that step back I realized that knowing what you have just the four or five pedals you have available to you better actually works better for me than having like yeah. 25 pedals I don't know very well I so the on the Marshall which tends to be my go-to amp um, it, just not because it's better than the Fender. I'm not saying that. It just tends to be the one because it's sitting right here. Mm -hmm. Guitar, amp, pedals, on, go. Um, and I think that's probably the most important thing is to make it uh, comfortable and fast for you. Whatever makes you, the user, right? Most comfortable, most quick. Find and, the uh, fastest way to get to your comfort zone and stay there. <laughs> And so the angry Charlie might get turned on. Um, the you know, angry driver, and then you if mean. it's angry, yeah, angry driver. I'm sorry, you're you're absolutely right. The angry driver might be on, um, and I might hit the delay. And if I'm using really upper frets, I'll hit the compressor. That's about it. That 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 is it. I I, I would have thought that I'd use more stuff. You know, I was like. Oh no! I'm gonna wind up using that. All that 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 caverns is gonna get used. Oh no, it doesn't. It doesn't get used hardly at all. And you and you, and you know, I turn on the dirt, the carbon coffee and I leave it. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with it. Like this is why no. I said. So the way I structure my boards is I have, I have a uh, a modulation section, I yep. have a drive section, and when I say section, I mean like one pedal. So I have a modulation yeah. pedal, I have a drive pedal, I have a fuzz pedal. In my case, I actually have two fuzzes for different situation. And then I have the preamp because I use it for going to open mics. And I have yep. a reverb. I, I mean, I don't even want to delay. And and I could, but I'm just kind of sitting there like, I don't really even need the delay. Like, I, if, I'm as long as I have a reverb. Yeah. yeah. If I have the reverb, it's fine. Like, it's I don't need a delay. And so... Once you stop and you think about, like, I really just basically run four categories of pedals, and those are the same four categories everybody else runs. I, I People right. place a lot of emphasis on, like, does my Phase 90 match the sound of the Phase 90 on this specific song? And it's just totally unnecessary because the audience doesn't know. They really yeah. don't, like, they don't take notes on, oh, it sounded just like this, unless they're, like, a critic or something. Um right. And and just being close enough is enough. In fact, if I don't find a vibe pedal at Gearfest, I'm just gonna keep my warp vinyl on the board for a while. It's not yeah. like 
it's not, nobody's going to be like, oh my gosh, that's not a univibe, you know, like, and you're playing that Robin Trower song. It's, it's just, it's, oh no. It, no one will ever. Everybody's, <laughs> everybody's going to laugh at you now. Yeah. Well, I think, I think some of it has to do with like, I'm kidding. Obviously. The way you approach that stuff too, though. So like, if you come in and you're like, no, nah, I'm not going to be a total traditionalist about it. Or it's just that like, this is the way I do it. And if you come in with that attitude and your playing has that attitude to it, I think it changes. Like even the guys in the room, they're like, yeah, I remember when Bridge of Size comes out. You know, the guy that's like outside smoking after the song. Like, I remember when that song came out. I you know, remember like that, that guy's not going to be like, he's not going to stop you and be like, man, your version sucked because you didn't have a 1971 Univibe. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> That 72 Univibe sucks. Right. So just be happy with what you're doing. And if you realize that it's like not all that important, because I know people that get they like, they'll be fine with the boss pedal, but they'll, but they're, but it drives them crazy that, that some guy in the back of the room is like, well, that's not going to match. Um, and it's don't stop worrying about that because I've never had that happen where somebody comes up to me and says, that didn't sound like the phaser on that song. Like, I'm talking exactly. a lot with my hands this episode. I've noticed this. I'm, I, yeah, yeah, I'm hardly moving mine at all. Still, if, I, if I do it enough, like, you'll, see, you'll see all the, the wiggle down here. I don't want that to happen, so i got to be careful. I don't have that. Um, so it, it just... What's the word I want? Um, it's just that... I know we've talked about this before, but I think it's important to emphasize because as many times as we, we talk on this channel... Um, I think that one of the things that gets lost is the knowledge that you can live with what gear you have. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yes. That's exactly what and I'm talking about. Unless you about. have none. Yeah. I mean. Unless you have none. You got to have an amp and a guitar uh, I, or, right. or a modeler and a guitar. But you right. don't really have to have anything more than that to actually sit down and play your guitar. And in fact. That's right. Some of the greatest players in the world didn't use much. I mean, nope. Stevie Ray Vaughan's necessary pedals were like a tube screamer or two tube screamers and a wah pedal. Right. I mean, yep. it doesn't get more basic than that. Um, and that guy made a hell of a lot of music that people really like. So that's why I'm. That's what I want to point out here is that don't don't get hung up on. Man, I don't have this new piece of gear. As I say this, I am buying a Lone Star cab. And um, this directly relates to this conversation, which is why I'm bringing it up. I was actually going to reveal it later uh, on another episode. But uh, I'm buying a 1x12 Lone Star cab. <coughs> Excuse me. There are, some, there are some good reasons for this, and there are some bad reasons for this. So I'm buying the cabinet because I am not happy with my V30 Mini Recto cab. Um, it sounds okay with my rectifier at bedroom volumes, or not a rectifier, my Mark 5, 25 at bedroom volumes. Um, it sounds awful with the Kemper on certain, certain settings. It's got yep. a ripped paper sound that comes out of the speaker. Yeah. It sounds like I ripped paper and it drives me crazy. Um, and I know a lot of people really like that because it, it will cut in the mix, but the problem is you can't smooth it out. Unless you're pushing a lot of volume through it and you're causing the speaker to compress, which is a thing that I do when I run the Mark V in like a gig style setting. So um, 
I, I'm getting a Lone Star cab. It's gonna happen. Um, there are some other reasons behind this, but I'm, I'm gonna go ahead and pick one up. And I was mentioning this to a couple of our show listeners, and they said, well, why don't you just take the back off of your mini cab? Now, I think I should address this right now. They got a point, right? I should try this. But I have some deep reservations as to why I don't actually want to do that long term. Um, number one is my cab was not cheap. Okay. I bought it. It's a $650 cabinet. Okay. Because it's got the basket weave front on it. Um, and it's a Mesa Boogie cabinet. So it's made out of, you know, 13 ply birch, you know, Baltic birch, yeah, 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 uh, yeah. marine grade plywood or whatever. Um, oh, yeah. It's a good cab. Uh, I was, it was suggested that why don't I just change the speaker? Because the speaker I'm going to put in, it's 185 bucks anyway. Um, it's not a cheap speaker or I think it's 145 bucks, but still not a cheap speaker. It's not like a vintage 30, which is like 120 or whatever. Um, right. And, uh, I was just kind of like, yeah, I mean, it's basically half the price of the new cab. I mean, slightly less, but, but in that ballpark and it sort of doesn't make sense. But in the other, the other perspective is it works well with my Mark five when I get to play it loud. The problem is it doesn't work well with my Kemper and right. I need to solve that problem. You need something with the not, some, with not remove back on cabinet. Hope it works well with Kemper. Kind right. of. And, uh, and the no. other, and the other thing is I've <laughs> never had a good experience with open backs with V thirties. And if the cab's not designed to be open back in my estimation, it doesn't sound that great. Um, right. Which, cause I've used, um, my old recto cab, I took the back off of it and played it once or twice. Um, and I know I've done that with some other amps I've had in the past. I uh, don't recall what offhand, but um, I've never had a really good experience doing that because the problem is open back cabs, they, a lot of times they make them shallow. Um, and it, it that's, makes us an issue. So that's kind of where I'm going. But do I need that? I mean... No. Yes, no. Like it, it depends. I really don't need it for open mics. That's not what I'm buying it for. I'm buying it to use it at home mostly, but I will be using it to gig with old Stumpy. Like that's right. that's the other side of this conclu- or equation. So it, it it does have a useful place in my catalog of stuff I need. Um yeah. for, you know, being a regular musician. But at the same time it's like I got a cab. If I didn't have it, I could go out with the V30. I know what to expect. I know what frequencies I need to shelve in my EQs. Um, yep. But I, it's a compromise. It means that I have to take up a block in the Kemper to do that. And there are some various reasons why I don't want to. So I'm going to spend the $420 or whatever it's going to. It's, I think it's more than this 470 I think, for a Lone Star cab. Um and uh, I'm not going to, I don't have any remorse about it. Like, yeah, okay, it's yeah. money. And, but right now, fortunately, my financial situation is much better than it's ever been, um, which I can't say that for most folks right now. And I'm, I'm just lucky at this point. And I know that that, that situation is probably going to change very soon. Um, so right. I'm trying to hedge my bets. But um, I'm, it's just it's i'm it's not this is not something that's being done because it's like well i need this because it's an extra thing or whatever there's an actual purpose for it and i try to do things with purpose now if i don't have a purpose i don't i don't waste my money anymore Um, yeah no i was you know i I was sitting down like i said i'm using the clean channel uh gains a little bit over half um i push the gain until just before it breaks up and uh that way i break it up with pedal yeah um easily 
Mm-hmm. And um, I could back off and clean it up easily too, even with the pedal on. Um, going, so, going back to that session at Sweetwater last year, this relates to what you're saying, where they were using yeah. the compressors as an EQ. That's what drive pedals do. Right. And, and, and people seem to forget like, oh, well, no, it just makes your amp more saturated or whatever. Like, no, you boost it with a drive pedal because it changes the frequency response of what your guitar is coming, how your guitar is coming out. Um, this whole transparent right. boost thing, uh, transparent drive thing is like kind of ludicrous to me. Misnomer. It's kind of yeah. ludicrous to me because it's like, well, the way I want it to work is like, I actually wanted to change the signal. If I, if I didn't want it to change the signal, then I'd want it to be a boost pedal. And just a clean boost right. with no contouring, but I haven't found a clean boost this that way yet either. So, um, I'm I'm using yeah the the go ahead. What is it? The TC um I the have spark one. The, the spark spark. I almost said sparkle drive, but that was Fudu. Um, yeah, the TC spark. In order for uh, me to in order, close to it, yeah, and and they say it's close to neutral. Um, the vertex close. boost. The vertex boost is another one that gets touted as that. Um. But at least with the spark, like there are internal dip switches that basically tell you there's some sort of tone filtering going on in this pedal. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, but and, and and I also know that just boosting the volume changes the way that your ear hears it. Now, it's not the same thing as changing the input to the amplifier. You can you right. can linear, uh, not linear, but you can boost a, uh, a signal and not have to mess with the Fletcher Munson um, dynamics and all that stuff that happens um, just to get a little bit more saturation out of your amp. Uh, the question is, so a true, I, I would think that a truly neutral boost would actually have to go back the other way and boost the frequencies in such a way that it matches the, uh, the, the loudness curve. Yeah. <laughs> so that you would hear it as being transparent. But, right. but by its nature of being transparent, it is no longer transparent because it is doing a filtering process to make things sound just louder, but not with any EQ differences. Um, right. This is something that I've like wasted a lot of time thinking about in my life. Um, and I, none of it really matters because at the end of the day, what are you doing? You're boosting the volume and you can do that with a drive pedal. You can do that with some tuners. I've seen tuners with volume knobs on them. Um, you can do it a lot of stuff. Just do what makes you feel happy about it. And yeah. Don't well, complain. <laughs> yeah. I, I was just mentioning that because um, like you were talking about not being satisfied with your uh, with your speaker cabinet and the camper. Um, I can be honest. I, I was cranking the Marshall again this week. Because I was finally done with my test. I was like, yes. Vintage 30 in that Marshall? Huh? Vintage 30 in that Marshall? Um, I believe so. I'll have to look, but I believe it's a V30. I know that's not your favorite um, speaker for that, but... No, I, like I, it I just was just asking because back. I wonder if you're having some of the same problems that I am. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, and I got to be honest with you. It just sounds incredible. It in, just... In open back? Yeah. Yeah, I know the it's, cab dimensions are also very different too, so Yeah, it's it's only that that deep. So was that eighteen inches? That's deeper than my that's deep. deeper than my mini recto cab is for yeah. sure. For sure. Yeah, it's they're shallow. Um Yeah, this guy's pretty deep. 
I think it's. I, mean, I can, we can look up I the dimensions. I actually look up the specs go ahead. real quick. You, you talk. Yeah. I'm going to look up dimensions. On um, which one? Uh, both. Okay. So what I was saying about it, you get, you'll get that. I'll keep going. So what I was saying about it is, I, I was, I was so pleasantly um, surprised. I put it in forty watt mode. I really cooked it. Um, threw it right up there. Uh, played over some um, old Pink Floyd and then some uh, uh, Leonard Skinner. I was trying to do minor, major, minor, major stuff. Kind of like, kind of like working out. You know, biceps, triceps, biceps, triceps, you know, I was doing the same thing and uh, really just trying to, um, I was trying to make it sound bad. That's what I was trying to do. How can I make it sound bad? And I'll be honest with you. I had to really push hard to make it sound bad. I really like the sound of this amp. It's a, Celestian, it's a killer amp. Celestian V-type, first off. Yep. Different speaker. Yep. Um, V type and Vintage 30 are different. Uh, yep. Your depth is only 9.9 inches on that cabinet. Wow. On the inside, it's only 9.9 inches. Wow, yeah. That's that, well, so the height is 19, the width is 24.4. So that's 24.4 yep. wide. It is a big wide yep. amp, um, but it's only 9.9 inches deep, which is kind of surprising to me. I thought it would be deeper than that. Um, the Mesa Boogie cabinet I own actually is 11 inches deep, but it's only 19 inches high and it's 18 inches wide, which what's, means it's a significant amount of volume less. Um, what's the depth on my, um, my twin? Uh, I could look that up. Uh, one moment, please be with Ray with you. One moment, please. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I just love the sound of it. I think it's because of the fact that it's open back. Remember that it it's so there's nothing preventing it from uh, pushing that. Okay, we don't have a, an awkward silence there at all. Yeah, no. <laughs> so the depth on your twin reverb is ten point three five inches. It, a little mean, bit deeper. Yeah, it looks a little bit deeper. Yeah, and those Jensen speakers that are in that are in them, yep. um, those are the Neo 12K. Um, yep. Jensen speakers in general work better in open back cabinets because they're a focused speaker, like they're a very focused sound. Um, and I know that when Celestian did the V's for the Marshalls, they they voiced those particularly for those. If I if I remember right, because the old DSL-40s didn't have the same speaker. No, they don't have a V-Type. The V-Type is their new greenback, like, with high-power right. handling. That's, That's it's, it. It's like greenback. a whole... Yeah. So A-Type yeah, is like an like. American speaker with high-power yeah. handling, and the V-Type is the... British, the British speaker yeah. um, and it's and it's not so like people think V-type oh it's like a vintage 30 no it's nothing like a vintage 30 it's actually closer to a greenback in, in terms of tonality I would say it's yep. somewhere between a greenback and a greenback yeah V I think was was based on that victory thing or something like that not, yeah, I don't, not victory I don't, amp but victory like victory for us you know, yeah like, I mean I don't know I, I or vintage or you know Celestian vintage yeah. style could um, be, a vintage, could be, yeah. it's a vintage 30 this is a vintage type yeah. whereas A type is though, American yeah. type um, yeah so uh, what I did find though is I actually really like the Mesa Boogie C90 because it has a much right. smoother high end and it doesn't have that abrupt ripped paper sound 
um, when I'm pushing the amp, even with profiles that are pretty, like, uh, pretty gnarly in the high end. So I think I'm going to have a better time with that speaker. And it, maybe at some point I will get another one and put it in my um, my mini recto cab just to see what happens. Yep. Um, or I can swap them and decide, you know, if I want to do that, like, this will work out for me. Um, but right now, uh, I'd rather have two cabs for this kind of scenario. Um, just because, like, for one thing, they're they're completely different sizes. The um, the Lone Star cab is much bigger. Um, and it's a right. tw- it's a 23 inch cabinet. Um, and it's yeah, I mean, it's basically like almost like the size of your DSL. Um, and that will allow me to have the bigger cab sound. Right. Um, which I miss from having my old recto cabinet, which was deeper. So that's what people don't realize. So the cabinet depth is not the only part of this. Right. It's it's really the cubic dimensions inside. And I, and I can actually explain. Right. Well, I can explain why I understand the physics of it now. Um so when you have a closed back cabinet, um, what happens is a vacuum of air forms inside the cabinet caused by the base being pushed out. Um, how hard or soft that vacuum is is similar to how hard or soft the vacuum of a tube is. And it has to do with how much leakage from like the speaker ports, for example, or not the speaker, well, right. if you have ports, yes, ports. that's perfect. Right. If you have ports, that's where air comes in to fill that void. Um, yep. And then, of course, you can get the, the woofy bass that comes out, right? So um, when speaker cabinets started, they were all open back. And that was done for serviceability, and it was done because they needed to be able to keep these amps open so that the tubes would have air circulation. When yep. time went on, obviously, they've changed designs. They've come up with some new stuff. Now you can get closed back combos and things like that. Um, yep. remember that the first, the first actual like popular amps were all combo amps. Um, and the problem right. was they would bleed all over the stage. If you were a drummer and you had drum mics going, um, and, and in a big venue, you would, um, yeah. you've got guitar amp bleeding over in your, in your drum mics, like really bad. Uh, and yeah. obviously they changed like they came up with ways to mitigate that, um, for people who still use combos, but yep. Because of that, uh, people started experimenting with closed back cabinets. And then they discovered, of course, that it actually makes the bass tighter because that void that it uses to actually produce the bass frequencies inside the speaker cabinet doesn't get filled as fast. Obviously, air does pass through the paper cone. Um, But so Mesa Boogie's idea is let's make that void as tight as possible to the point where I've actually tried to take the back off my mini recto cab. My big guy did because I actually had to replace the speaker in it. But the mini recto cab, I can't get the back off of it. And I've tried. Okay. Um, yeah. It's it's tight. It's tight because the, the, the way they tolex it. And it's designed to be a perfect fit. Um, the They literally put a cap on the speaker outputs or the speaker, um, the speaker jacks on the one you're not normally going to be using. They put a cap in there because it prevents air from coming in there to fill that void. I mean, they're that crazy about it. Um, so that's kind of why the recto cabs have the tight base, which is actually a reduction in base. So if you were to go yeah. get an open back version of a recto cab, make the same dimensions, right? Put the same speakers in it. You're going to get way more low end out of the recto cab, it's not going to be tight low end. It's going to be flubby low end. Um, but you're going to get more low end out of it. That's just a fact. Right. Um, yep. 
if you put it on a meter, you're going to see like this big explosive low end. Um, and that's not the sound that most people would go for. Like you don't see open back four by 12s for a reason, because most people want that right. to be tight. Most people want them closed and um, tight. There are, you'll see ported four by 12s or you'll see um, yep. four by 12s with a, with a, um, like a semi-open back, but I've never seen a four by 12 that's completely open back. I'm sure they exist. Um, yeah, I don't know. But I, uh, I mean, I've never seen one. Uh, I'm not saying that they don't exist. That's well, could sure. you imagine the amount of low end you would get out of a four by 12 with an open back? Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's, it, it can be, it can be kind of ridiculous with a two by 12 with that's, an open back. I would think that it would get too flubby. I'm just, that's what I'm, that's what I'm thinking. Like, it, so oh, a two by 12, I can see, but not a four by 12. So the other thing I've also been told is that, uh, chaining these two speakers together in my Mark five twenty five is like heavenly. Um, and that's something I want to try, but that's not why I'm, that's not why I would be approaching a new cab. Um, right. But I got I, there's that, so I'm getting that from Good Time Music. Um, that's something that I could buy from Sweetwater, but uh, first off, Sweetwater's out of stock, which that doesn't have anything really to affect this. I would rather pay full price because I'm going to pay it full price one way or the other to um, my local, local guitar game. shop um, and and support them. And then the other the other thing is uh, I'm getting the Kemper bag. Um, I decided I'm going to go ahead and just do it. I'm keeping my Kemper for the long term anyway. Um, so I'm going to get the bag so it's easier to carry around. It'll give me an open mic option. It'll give me a gig option if I, did, if I don't really like it. So what, one of the gigs that we were going to do is this farmer's market thing, right? And it really right. wouldn't make sense for me to bring a big amp and all that shenanigans. I could go to the farmer's market with my Kemper in a bag, guitar on my back, cabinet in my hand. Yep. And, go and the cabinet that. is your monitor and you Yeah, hook basically up it's my it, it no, I would just bring my uh my cabinet I meant my head rush. And yeah. put it on the floor. That's my monitor. So I mean that's your monitor. And, and then the you doing all my sound. The Kemper output to the to the DI. Yeah. Uh, right. And I can bring the bag so if I have to walk a ways to get to the, the venue and the farmers market, like it's not gonna be a pain in the butt to hold doors open and go through all that shenanigans. Nope. Um so yeah. that's I mean that's the reasoning behind it. Um, obviously luxury, you know, I could, I could definitely use my existing roll away for that. Um, but I think that I'll get, get more use out of like, so I, I go to my parents a lot and play. Um, and that's another thing is I can throw it in the bag and not have to lug this giant road case to my parents every time I go. Um, yep. which I know for some people like manual labor is not a problem, but for me, I hate manual labor. And so it's easier if I'll do it that way. Um, yeah. and, it's, and it's not a huge investment considering the amount of money I put into the camper already. Um, buying a, yep. buying a quality bag from Gator is not a huge not. investment. Uh, nope. I would have bought, I would have actually bought this bag back when I bought my camper if it existed at that time and it didn't. So, you know, there's that too, but I actually decided to go ahead and order that through good time as well to make sure that right. they got some, and that's the majority of what I'm spending is actually the cabinet and the bag. Um, pretty yeah. much everything else is just peanuts at that point. But um, I just wanted to make sure that I have things I need going into the fall. Um, yep. And, yeah, the uh, only thing I'm thinking about getting is uh, Spark still. Oh, know, I thought you had one. I no, I was going to order one. Oh. Yeah, um, I haven't ordered it. They, and it doesn't matter because they aren't shipping them yet anyway. So I'm I'll wind up on some wait list and 
and get one. Oh, you're talking about the Spark amplifier. I thought you were talking oh, about yeah, the TC yeah, Electronic yeah. Spark I, no, yeah, I boost pedal. The T yeah, the, sorry. Yeah, the little amplifier, the little practice amp. Yeah. Because I'll be doing more traveling for work, so it just makes sense to have it to carry with me to do that stuff. Um there's some more stuff I wanted to talk about. You know what I really like? The yeah. Tascam used to make and I saw one. I don't know if, if the guy still got it. Porta Studio? There was a it was even it was even less or smaller than that. They had this little C D thing you could practice with. Oh yeah, yeah, and yeah. You, and you put the MP3 the CD in there. The phrase trainer. Yeah, their phrase trainer, a guitar phrase trainer. It's a little red CD player. Yeah. Do they still make that? No, I don't think so. And the thing about that is there's a guy that had one for like 40 bucks on sale and uh, on Facebook Marketplace. And I'm thinking, I mean, honestly, honestly, for the pain in the ass that it would be to take digital music and put it on there, it almost doesn't make sense to me. I would just be like, dude, I'll give you $10 for it because I'll probably use it once and then forget all about it. <laughs> I'll give you 25 bucks for it. Yeah. I had one. I don't know where I put it. Truth is, I, <laughs> see? I have one. See? I... Jim's going to buy another one, and he can't remember where he put the first one because he never uses it. <laughs> no, it's, be it's because I stopped using it when I traveled. When I traveled, that, that was number one. I, I could get a pod bean. That's what I should get. Just get a little pod bean and then run the music from my phone yep. into that. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um or get you have one already, a Black Star Fly. Oh. Cause uh actually that was one thing I was looking I was thinking about getting was because like I do go to people's houses. Dude, I take my guitar with me everywhere. First off, let me explain something. I don't Part even need a speaker though. I'm in a I'm in a hotel typically. So yeah. don't even need a speaker. I um I when I well, I mean as small I as that get, thing, it's uh, got a headphone of interfaces out. for this. Yeah. But the, uh, who makes I don't a, think a, the somebody sounds make are, an interface, please? I've never been happy with the plugins for the phone. I've played yeah. around with several of them using, you know, an interface and and, and stuff, and I was just like yeah. I would much rather have just like a dedicated device and even something like, I know you said it doesn't have a speaker, but like the fly at least has a, a, a headphone out. I mean, yeah. Oh yeah. Um, and it's tiny. I mean, you can throw it in your gig bag. Um, so that I do travel like a lot with my guitar. And I was just starting to say, is like, I take my guitar everywhere. I went, I went to my brother's today and I had my guitar on my back and I went in and I was yeah. just, you know, playing stuff while I was there um, and I will always do that because actually for me, it's, um, it's a way for me to decompress. Number one, right. um, number two is, uh, I I've read that, you know, the seven highly, highly effective habits and they talk about like doing things while you're in line and stuff like that. I mean, that's it. If you want to learn to play guitar and you got spare time, you do have spare time. You may not think you have spare time, but I guarantee you, if you bring your guitar you with you time. everywhere you go, you have spare time. Take it out, play some stuff. Yep. Um, yep. So that's a, that's a big thing. Like I would highly recommend you consider taking your guitar with you wherever it is you go. Um, but for me, like I don't have a battery powered amp. It would be really nice 
to have just like a level of overdrive when I'm practicing. Yeah. Because I play a lot unplugged acoustic, believe it or not, with an electric guitar. And it's not fun. I mean, it helps you with your technique because it's obviously like playing clean. Um, but it doesn't give you the same vibe. You don't get used to dealing with actually my, my big thing now is dealing with too much sustain. Um, and you really, and then so when you get actually plug in and like go to play something complicated, you're like, now I have to learn to mute all the notes. You know, it's like, all right, just, just plug me into an amp before I, before I even attempt that. Um, I did post and I didn't post it in our group, but I did post, um, in my, my music page, uh, me playing scatterbrain this week. And that's a classic example. That's a song I work out. I sit in the chair and I play the riff over and over on in acoustically. Um, and I've got the riff pretty much down at this point. Uh, that the the video I posted is terrible, but it's because I I'd never actually played with the backing track muted, like the guitar part muted. Um, yep. So now I got to figure out how to count and get the lead in and all that stuff. Um, Cause it's a super complicated piece of music, but um, what, what I was trying to say was that like the first time I plugged into an amp and then dropped the guitar track out and I realized, Oh crap. Like, I have way too much gain for the song and then had to like stop and back up and go adjust things. And, um, it, it made me, you know, it, it stopped me for a minute. It was like, well, have I been practicing this right? Have I really been approaching the song? Right. Um, and I think, I think I actually improved my approach after I screwed it up because I was like, okay, now I know, you know, this is, it's gotta be this way. Um, but I decided to post that moment in time anyway mostly because I recorded it. I was just like, oh, health it. Um, I got to live in the moment more. I got to get, I got to get that stuff and get it out in front of people um, more than I do. Uh, and so I'm going to hold my feet to the fire on it. Uh, but um, yeah, you saw it, Jim. Like, what'd you think? I thought it was good. I, um, I told you, I didn't, uh, I didn't hear the, the problems that you had mentioned. Um, I thought that it was really, really good. Um, the only thing I have when someone is playing to another person's guitar track is I really like to be able to hear like that person in one side. Yeah. You know, and but... in in that song, I found, I found a version where they dropped the guitar out and it was pretty much dead. Yeah. So, uh, there's one section at the end where like the guitar is louder than it than it is through the rest of the song, but basically it's, it's not there. Um, you can do that with phasing stuff last week's episode. I have a, I fun with phasing last week's episode. I got, um, fun with phasers. I got Jim's audio and my audio. We were, so my audio was only on one track. It was on the left track. Jim's audio was on the right track and the left track. So he was centered, right? So I'm going, well, how do I, I need to get my track on a mono track. I need to get Jim's track on a mono track. And that's going to be a problem because he's not just on one track, right? Or there right. was something like that. So what I ended up doing is like reversing the phase to take him out of the middle <laughs> and then taking the left track that had just him and then the right track that had me. And I ended up getting a mono pair out of it. But it was it was kind of nightmarish to figure it all out. Um, fun with phasing. You can do some fun, fun stuff with, with phasing. Yeah. And when they, when they drop guitars out of these songs, a lot of times it's all they're doing. 
is because the guitar's pan center. They just flip the phase and um, the way they go. So if you're curious as to you know how you drop the guitar track out of a out of a piece of music, that's a great way to do it. Um, I did want to talk about some guitar playing stuff. This way, I think we just talked about Scatterbrain. That's so that's been <laughs> like my quest this summer. Uh, there's some cool stuff in that song, uh, and not just the main riff. Like the main riff is brutally hard to play. It's in uh, I think it was a seven eighths or nine eighths time. I I don't know offhand. I'd have to I'd have to actually count it out because when you get when you get to seven eighths and nine eighths, you're not counting anymore. <laughs> okay, you're just like okay, here we go. Um, and it's played you know like 140 or 150 beats a minute. Uh, it's no, it's got to be faster than that. It's gonna be like 180 beats a minute or something, because it's like seven eighths time. So it's all that the main riff is. I mean, the main riff might be in sixteenths. If it's in eighth notes, if the main riff is actually in eighth notes, it's fast. It's real fast. Um, and the chord changes are like almost every chord is like a key change. I mean, that's the way I'm approaching it. I obviously it's not necessarily that way, but um, that's the way I'm approaching it. And it and it goes from like a minor seven to um, to a minor second thirteen, uh, if you know the national numbering system, and then has like you know some slash chords, and uh, has this big descending slash chord and fourths thing, and it's like I just kind of sit there and I go, I don't even understand how these chords are related. Um, I would have had to sit out and actually like diagram it out. But basically the way you play against it is you change keys with each chord. Fortunately, the chords are held for, you know, two measures a piece. Um, so you can get through it. Uh, it's not like a, like a Coltrane piece where the chord lasts like, you know, a half measure or something. And you're like, what the hell? I didn't even get some key change. Like, um, but it's jazz. Like it's, it's yeah. hardcore jazz stuff. Uh, Jim, do you guys say that jazz? Do you have any pieces of music that you've played that are like that that just have like some insane, crazy chord progression stuff going on that you're just like, I don't even know how to play over this? Um, when I, I know you hate the the musician as far as the music style. Uh, I was listening to someone save my life tonight. I used to play that by a. Uh, um, Elton John. Mm -hmm. uh, and that has some... I'm looking up the chords because I want to see how crazy it is. Um, yeah, they're pretty straightforward. Chord, well, may, and, and, and of course, this is somebody's arrangement of it, right? So right. maybe part of it. But it's like G, C, G, C, G, F, G. And there's no way that's actually how that song goes. Um, no. let me see if I can find like an accurate, there's line. a lot of not just plain major minor chords. Yeah. And I think a lot of these are based on guitar chords, which is like, Oh, this is, if you're playing guitar, this is how you'd play it. Right. If but you're doing piano it, and yeah, it's just like, if you play, uh, um, that one or, or Here another one is, uh, I found it a you? flat, okay. E flat, a flat slash E flat, a flat yep. slash F. A flat slash G. So it's just basically like an A flat drone over a lot of stuff that aren't even yeah. in a related key. So, right. <laughs> um, oh my gosh, this is like monstrous. With, and of course, <laughs> it's in a flat key because it's piano, right? Because it's piano. 
Um, if you don't know, yeah. so if you've ever wondered why when a lot of, you play a lot of piano music, they're in flat keys, it's actually because uh, a lot of times flat keys are easier to play in piano. They don't require yep. as much stretching. Um, I, I, as a piano player, um, I do play occasionally. Um, I find that it depends because uh, I think there are some movements you can do in, in the flat stuff that it's like when you're using uh, sh- uh, mostly sharps and flats. It becomes right. it becomes actually counterintuitive and actually more difficult to play, um, but that's me, uh, and that's it. Just has to do with some of the things you do with your hands when you play piano. Um, but man, these chords are like nuts. They're weird, and uh, you know, I um, when I used to play that one, uh, that was that was a little strange. I'll tell you another one that that will throw you for a loop. Um, by a musician, you would think, oh, no, his stuff is so easy. There's no way. Is Jim Croce. Look at, uh, look at the fingerings for um, – uh, hold on. I got to get the right one. Not operator, but um, had to say I love you in a song. Um, I have had another song I wanted to share. So I learned a piano arrangement of Bohemian Rhapsody. And for guitar, right? So I cannot stress to you how many actual chords are in that song. It is nuts. Um, I'm looking at the chord chart right now, and there's so there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight chords in a row. There's one, two, three, four, five, six, there, six, seven. So six chords with eight, and then one of two. <laughs> it's a 48, 48 chords or some craziness like that, and and I, when you when you learn it, like you're actually doing chord melody, which makes it even worse because there's parts where you're just like picking out an extra note here or there, and yeah. I just yeah, don't angry. know how Brian May got away with it. Like, I, I still haven't figured out what his arrangement is because uh, it does not. If you play it in like a, a guitar centric way, it doesn't yep. sound right. So he I think he actually plays like probably half or three quarter of these chords at some point. Um, yeah, Styx is uh, Angry Young Man. That's another um, song no. that has an insane arrangement. It's one of those ones where you just you're playing melody with chords. Yep. And so you're consistently, and the and the the Jim Croce song I mentioned earlier, um, it's like, uh, oh, time in a bottle. That's what I was think, thinking. About. Yes, yes. If I could play of time in a bottle, it, you're playing a chord for if I, and then he goes if time in a bottle. You got you got this that's, that's harmonic chord. minor, right? Yeah, and so you're moving. That's exact. It's D harmonic minor, and you're moving down the scale chromatically, and then you move diatonically, and then you go out of the. You go out of D minor for a second, go into G, go back into D minor, and come out of it, go back to G, and all you've done is one line of of the song. You, you finished one look. If I could save time in a bottle, the first thing that I would like to do. You've done all the movement through the D harmonic minor scale, and then you've gone into G, back out of G, and back into G, and then back to D minor. Yeah. That song is a thump <laughs> in the nuts. Is what you- <laughs> um, a lot of the, uh, what's your name? And the um, fingerings are. 
Robin Trower well, came up. Not Robin Trower. Um, Robin Ford came up playing with uh, what's her name? Um, uh, Joni Mitchell. Joni Mitchell. Joni oh Mitchell has songs like God. that where it's like, how many chord changes can you possibly put in this song? And it's not how the many? sheer number of chords. It's just like how many changes and how frequent. Um, and how many key changes will she do in a single verse? Yeah. I mean, uh, she is an incredible musician. Uh, I'm looking at big yellow I taxi think, um, chords. Just to, yeah, see what, just to see what it oh looks my. like. Uh, so it's the, the nobody's going to do that right. Yeah, so that's you're you're right on that. that standard. Yeah, you're right on that. Um, she very rarely used standard tuning. She's she's crazy. Um, yeah, yeah. So like some of the chords in there, are like A add two E, so like an A, a suspended with an E on top. Uh, e seven six four A sixes. There's a lot of six chords in here. E major yep. seven. Um, so I mean, and 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 her tuning was D A D F F sharp A D. That's, um, yep, that sounds with, right. With a capo on the second fret. Um, yep. I mean, and, and, and it's literally like, you know, uh, if you've ever heard the song, it's almost like spoken word. And it's I, honestly, yeah. A, A6, A, 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 add two E, E7, Seuss 4, A, add two E is like one line. <laughs> and yeah. you're just like, yeah. huh? Change paradise, yeah. put it in a parking lot. <laughs> yeah. There's like four, <laughs> like four or five chords there, and they're not even just like voice leading. It's just it's, like a totally different paradigm. Um, and then the la the last song where she goes, "Late last night, heard the screen door slam." Yeah, she she the music changes time signature behind her so they could slam a door in time. Yeah, yeah. With, the, with the song. Uh huh. And I kind of wonder, mean, like, when you're right, when she was writing that kind of stuff, like. How much she of that thought was that a out. studio process? Like they're sitting there and saying, "Like, wouldn't it be cool if we could make the door slam here?" And then they're like, "Okay, let's rewrite this." Um, nope. Or she it, thought that stuff out. I saw an interview. With I think her so too. She, like that's what's scary about it. A lot of these, a lot of musicians, and there's no, you know, there's no slam on anyone um, for that. Is most musicians will just, hey, you know, it would be cool if we did this. You know, like um, when Judas Priest was looking for the sound of a monster, it wound up being that they stuffed a microphone into a, a drawer with a bunch of uh, flatware. And they just shook the drawer, and that was the sound. <laughs> That's what they got for the sound. Um, but if you take uh, Joni Mitchell, she sat down and she mapped out how she would play those songs. That's like, um, have you ever listened to Woodstock by uh, uh, Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young? Yeah. Who was another band that didn't tend to use the standard tuning? Yeah. Um, Cro David Crosby um, and Stephen Stills came from Joni Mitchell's. Yeah, yeah. They they were, matter of fact, Stills and Joni were a thing for a little bit. So, um, she wrote that song for them. So there's a version she does of it and a version they do of it. But let me tell you something. That is another song where if you sit down and try to play those those chords, you're gonna get tripped up. It's just a. It's just a. I mean, yeah, you got to rehearse that stuff. That's not one that you're gonna whip out at a jam session and like everybody's gonna know yeah. it. You know, <laughs> like, um, I was laughing. It's though. Like that. It's like okay, I'm gonna use this chord one time, just once, right here in this song. <laughs> Whether, 
whether you like Robin Ford as an individual or not, I've heard him say some right. things in interviews. I'm kind of like, eh, whatever. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I like his music. Most of it. Um, I think the, uh, the talk to your daughter record is like freaking phenomenal. Um, yeah. but I'm not a big fan of like everything he's done since some of the stuff I said or miss, but anyway, he worked with Joni Mitchell. So like he, he, um, he came out at both Joni Mitchell and Miles Davis. Okay, so he worked with right. Miles Davis as well. Um, but he says about her, uh, there's a quote from him, she's a great musician, a lovely person. Rare people like her make you want to do your best for them, and it brings out the best in everybody. I learned more in her company and that of the other musicians around her than at any other time in my life. This is a guy that played with Miles Davis, and right. he's saying he got a better musical education playing with Joni Mitchell. So, I mean, I love Miles and I love Joni Mitchell and I'm not going to pick between the two of them, but no, that's no. a pretty impressive statement coming from somebody who's an authority on guitar like Robin Ford. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, who was I? Uh, was it Larry Carlton was saying that kind of thing about the guys from uh, from Steely Dan? Didn't Larry Carlton and, also uh, play with uh, Joni Mitchell at one point? Yeah, I was just going to say. Larry Carlton played with Joni Mitchell and he played with um, oh who's her name? Carol um, Carol K King no Carol King Carol King yeah the one she was the one that was with uh, uh, Jim Taylor James yeah. Taylor well and, that, yeah. and that's the thing so like and she wrote Tapestry right that's her album Tapestry I think so um, yeah let me see. I'm trying to remember Make the sure. name the name of the record, but I think I think you're right. Um Larry Carlton is one of those guys that yeah, right. I think it would shock people some of the records he's been on that like he's like a wrecking crew kind of guy. Like where it's like, okay, you know, he's known for doing the jazz, like room three thirty five, like Steely Dan thing, but he's yep. done all kinds of other crap too. Um, oh yeah, and is an incredibly versatile musician, despite it, the fact that he's a jazz giant. Um, I think it's Larry Carlton that's pulling off the solo on uh, of all songs, um, uh, "Addicted to Love" by Robert Palmer. I'm pretty sh sure that would not shock me. Somebody at all. told me that that was Larry Carlton. I was like, not shocked, not shocked at all. It doesn't, it doesn't fit the song. It doesn't, but it works. I mean, it doesn't. The, I tried to play the solo that he played, and it's like, I don't know what the heck's going on here. It sure looks like it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that it may have right? actually been him. Yeah. Um, yeah. He he played a lot of stuff back then. But yeah, Tapestry by uh, Carol King. Carol King. Yeah, Carol King. That, if you guys haven't heard that album, if you if there's somebody you should go back to listen to, I would listen to something by Joni Mitchell. Pick an album from her 70, late 60s, early 70s period. Um, and Tapestry by Carol King, uh, that, um, it's got the, I feel the earth move. I feel the that, earth Right, it's move a great record. Under my feet, you know, that's, oh. Okay. It's just one of those songs. Natural Woman. Larry Carlton as Sideman playing for other yep. people. Includes yep. notable people like Paul Anka, Joan Baez, uh, yep. Four Tops, um, Albert Hammond, John Clymer, Joni Mitchell, uh, which yep. we, we'd already mentioned, uh, Megan McDonough, um, yep. 
the Partridge Family, uh, Steely Dan, yeah, I can believe that. Yep. Barbara Streisand, Johnny oh, yeah. Johnny Rivers, and then with others like there's even more like The Fifth Dimension, um, America, uh, Chet Atkins, um, Clint Black, just just picking names out I recognize David Cassidy, um, going to the top of this list because it's just, it's a two column list, um, David Crosby. Uh, Christopher yeah. Cross, uh, Neil Diamond, Not Tommy Emmanuel, uh, Peter Frampton. I think I saw him with with uh, uh, Peter Fra- or I mean not Peter Fra- um, with uh, Neil Diamond live. Yeah, it could be. I, I wouldn't surprise yeah. me. I'm pretty Pe- sure. I'm pretty sure I remember that was uh, Larry Carlton when I saw him. Peter Frampton, Peter Gabriel, um, Jerry Garcia. Which I didn't even I, like. I'm a huge Peter Gabriel fan, and I did not know that Larry Carlton had done work for Peter Gabriel, and he has. Um, that's not a surprise. It did not shock nope. me to find that out. But it was like, hmm, I didn't know that. Um, <laughs> Michael Jackson, uh, which I knew about that. He was on Off the Wall. Yep. yep. Um, who else? Um, Chuck Mangione, Henry Mancini, uh, Ray Manzrick of The Doors. Uh, Michael McDonald. I mean, this and I'm like not even halfway through this. It just yeah. gets worse. Like he played with Michael McDonald with Steely Dan. Yeah. So it's not surprising that he went and played with Michael McDonald. Yeah. He well, Steely Michael McDonald's was backup vocals for Steely Dan. Like they, yep. that, they which is almost like subjugation for them. It's like, well, you know, um, yeah. <laughs> we yeah. had Michael McDonald back us up, but then again, so did uh, Christopher Cross. Yeah, this is actually really interesting and kind of um, it really, really like it's not surprising to me. He is one of the in-demand session guys of of our time, meaning you know the last hundred oh, yeah. years, really. Um, oh, him yeah. and him and Lee Rittenauer. Rittenauer is another guy that's like, I mean, the 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 list of work is like, huh? Um, and Robin Ford has a list like this too, and that's what's crazy is Robin Ford is known for being a solo artist more than he is anything else. Um, yeah. but Larry Carlton is definitely known more for his session work than his regular recordings, despite the fact that his regular stuff is great too. Um, and so let's, let, I want to, I want to, I'm going to pull up Lee Rittenauer's real quick. Um, I don't, I, I've always suck at spelling his name Rittenauer. Okay. So cool. Um, which again, he's kind of in the same vein as those guys, uh, <laughs> Sideman. Uh, Aretha Franklin, Carly Simon, uh, Art Garfunkel. Um, oh, Carly Simon, yeah. She's yeah. Incredible. Paul Anka again, <laughs> uh, Quincy Jones, uh, Kenny mm-hmm. Loggins, Dizzy Gillespie, Bette Midler, um, John Denver, B.B. King, Aretha Franklin. I mean, then the list goes on. It's 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 almost as ridiculous as uh, Larry Carlton's. And, of course, Lee Rittenauer is also on a lot of film soundtracks as well. Um and there are other guys like him that have just been synonymous with, you know, big budget, high, high, high profile L.A. sessions. Yeah, and those Tim were the Pierce dudes. Was, Tim Pierce yeah, is Tim another Pierce one. one um, he was and, more of a pop guy, but he was he was on a lot of that stuff. And, cool. and let's be very clear. When you have a volume of work like these people, their their discography on Wikipedia is woefully incomplete. Um, yes, I guarantee yes. you that that in his heyday, Larry Carlton was probably doing three sessions a day, and it was like 
what are we doing today? Today is a commercial. You know, it's like, okay, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. let's, let's hammer it out, you know? Um, and, uh, I, I, maybe some things he remembers, like this is the, this is the record that did this, you know? And like, I went on tour with these guys and, um, yeah, I, w- I was talking to a friend the other day, we were talking about, uh, uh, musicians on different records and, um, different things. And we were talking about the, um, the wrecking crew and how a lot of these folks were on, um, Everything you heard, yeah, from from yeah. the wagon, the Chuck Wagon commercial, um, to mm-hmm. you know, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there, um, the it, and those things they define your Manilow, generation. Believe it or not, wrote a lot of that stuff, and then um, uh, and then these guys were on um, almost every TV soundtrack. You're talking Hawaii Five O, um, Batman. And uh, what's the other? Um, oh, uh, the the at was it the Adams family or the Munsters? Oh, the Munsters. Yeah, those songs were the same people. I mean, it's just funny. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You listen to them and you go, "Holy crap!" And when you listen to it, same... it's really obvious that it's the same band, and they may have yeah. cut them on the same day. Like it, it, it's it's to that <laughs> level of like this sounds exactly like this, and they were both arranged by the same people at the same time. Yeah, yeah, and the monkeys, the monkeys' music were them guys too. Yeah, and it's just funny because the musicianship of these folks—it's um, on another level. Is, I mean, oh yeah, Disney, Disney called them, and it's a fun. I don't know. Stop me if I've told this story, but uh, Disney called them and they said, uh, um, "Hey, we need you guys to come in and do this session." Because we need some of you guys that do that rock and roll. That back then it was yeah. that rock and roll, yeah, right? That that, that because, crap that nobody yeah. wants to listen to, but we want to. Yeah, because they were all snobs. They're all jazz and jazz and classical snobs. So they, you know, Fantasia and everything else that came. So um, they get uh, they get in there, and the the folks that you know they said, okay, well, we know you guys probably never had to do this. Here's the here's the charts. This is what we want you to play. They, you know, um, I don't know if you've ever seen that stuff, but they put the the screen up so that everybody can see this the um, the thing they're playing to. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they were. There was a woman who was supposed to count them in like slowly, but she said it at their normal count, and so it went one, two, three, you know. And they and they just did it. And then the the guy that was supposed to record them. Didn't it? Didn't it record? <laughs> they went through the fees, and then and then he goes, he goes, oh my god! He goes, you guys are on another level, <laughs> so much higher than I thought you would be. And um, uh, they were like, well, is that it? No, I have to go back. We have to record. <laughs> it's just funny to, that, yeah, uh, because like they weren't ready for it because they didn't realize those guys didn't have to work anything out, um, right? And I, I honestly think that's part of the reason why rock and roll has taken so much. It, it speaks to rock and roll in general. Like why yeah. rock and roll took off was because it didn't require intense technical knowledge to be able to do it. Like jazz, there not everybody in, in, in that's out there can play jazz. Like it takes work to get to the level where you can play jazz in a professional setting. Um, right. Not that I'm saying it's like impossible. Obviously, I've met people who play jazz regularly. Uh, everyone has. Um, but 
classical music is the same thing. You have to basically devote yourself to it. And then right. maybe you get into an orchestra somewhere. Um, whereas like jazz music, like you will find a group, but you got to be good enough to actually do it. Whereas rock and roll, it's like, hell, I know five chords and, and I know like four songs and they're all pretty much the same. So let's just get together and play. And like, nobody stops and thinks about like, man, we got to do these four chords and then, you know, then we're going to modulate. And like, there's, there's none of that kind of conversation going on. It's just like, Hey, you want to play? Yeah, sure. And then they just start playing and that's it. Um, yeah. And I, it, it, uh, it makes me, um, you know, I, I think back to those days, Lawrence Welk was still on TV. So you still had the big band yeah. stuff that was going on, um, which for a while there, Brian Setzer brought back with a, with a bang. I mean, during the what mid two thousands, right? Yeah. He did uh, the, he did the, uh, he's done two records, I think with a, Brian with a full Setzer orchestra, orchestra, yeah, the Brian right? Setzer orchestra, yeah. right. And uh, just incredible. He's a New Yorker. Um, but anyway, he, you know, he's a monster is what he is. Um, he is. He's a monster player. Just incredible. But if you take that, um, that whole, the genre as a whole, piece as a whole, I think um, you, get, you get people who come into that, uh, that, that group. Um, the, the studio folks we're talking about, a guy like Lee Rittenauer or, you know, or Larry Carlton would be just as comfortable playing on a jazz session as they would playing on a, on a jingle. Right. And because it's because the, so even the wrecking crew could have done that. And that's, right. and that's the point is those guys were extremely learned guys and gals. Yep. Cause we obviously know there are female members of the wrecking crew as well. Yes, they were. Yes. Um, <clears throat> because of that, like the, 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 the learnedness informed a lot of the, like when they would go into a session and they would have to do something with somebody who's familiar with those kinds of music. But the right. reality was it was just music to them. Like, it was like, okay, so what do you want for this track? You know, like what, what genre do you want us to play? And, and they were good right. enough that they could have pulled any of them off. And they were known for doing the rock stuff, which is why they did a lot of the early rock and roll, like soundtracks and that kind of thing. Um, yeah, you take uh, stuff like the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack or the um, the Grease soundtrack or the mm -hmm. uh, those things. Um, of course, uh, what was the uh, the big '60s? Um, there was uh, oh, I can hear the the songs in my head, but for some reason the the album escapes me. But it was huge, huge musical. It was Hair. And there was, oh, come on, they had, uh, of course, the song Aquarius was on there. Oh, God. I don't know why I'm blanking out. And of course, Fame, that was a huge soundtrack album. Um, those are, they, um, uh, it was uh, Rick Beato that was talking about the same thing. Those are going, if not gone, soundtrack albums. Um, you know, synchronization is gone. So, stop you because I know I, we're good. No, we're talking about the Wrecking Crew, right? Like, this is yeah, eponymous thing, and people don't know who they are. Um, especially yep. younger people don't may not necessarily know. Um, so 
I'm trying to find like a list of the official Wrecking Crew people, like the people that they would consider to be. Yeah, the... it was Tony. Uh... I mean, I know Carol Kay was the big one. Like she was the bass player yep. that held it all together. Um, and Tommy, uh, Tommy Tedesco. Tommy Tedesco. Um, that's who I was thinking. Larry Nectol. Uh, yep. uh, Steve Douglas, Earl Palmer, Glenn Campbell, yep. obviously. Glenn Campbell. Um, yeah. Leon Russell, Glenn Campbell's the one that we would probably all know. Uh, there were other people involved with the Wrecking Crew, though, too. Um, I want to say um, Almond was one of them. Dwayne. But I don't see his name. He was, here. Dwayne Almond was not Wrecking Crew. He was part of the... Um, the other group that was doing the other stuff. The, like the similar group that was going around like right after the their name crew. Their name is in a song. I'll give you a hint. Their name is a, is a Southern Rock song. It is in a Southern Rock song and nobody ever gets it right. And it's a song by Leonard Skinner. They mention him. And they go... Muscle Souls has got the Swampers. It's Muscle Souls, yeah. It was the Swampers, yeah. Muscle Souls, that was the that was the place, and they were they were the Swampers, yeah. And they were doing they were cutting all that country and that um uh, that that kind of rock. As a matter of fact, that's Dwayne Allman on um oh what's the song? Uh, he plays he's playing slide. Oh, crap. I mean, they so they did work for the Rolling Stones, Aretha Franklin, George Michael, Wilson Pickett, Willie Nelson, Leonard Skinner, Joe Cocker, uh, Lee Von Helm, uh, Paul Simon, Bob Seger, Rod Stewart, Tomiko Jones, Cat Stevens, yep. uh, everybody. And if you were looking for that sound, that's where you went for those people. Uh, the the Wrecking Crew was kind of over by the mid seventies, right? I mean, I think there yes, was, they, they 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 were like nineteen sixty to nineteen seventy five. Um, yeah, it, and it wasn't that they the end. ended. It wasn't like they were a group. It was just that they that a lot of those players like had moved into other things, and the new generation of studio guys like Larry Carlton was starting to make an appearance. They were well. They, what they were doing was a lot of the bands. Uh, how do I say this? A lot of bands were becoming popular. So if you think about that time frame, um, a lot of folks that didn't need them their services were were the big folks i mean foreigner uh was and that that's another thing that started to happen was a lot of the studio folks created bands toto was a studio right, band right little river band was a studio band um alan parsons project Led Zeppelin Obviously, was arguably a studio. a studio band. I mean, there's a lot of Led bands. Led Zeppelin and... was for studio guys. Um, of course, they were earlier. Well, um, technically, two of them weren't studio guys, but but yeah, it was going to be for studio guys originally, for people that that right. like all knew each other who were already making really big records. Yeah, well, two yeah, two guys worked together. That was uh, um, who was it? Uh, Page and was it Page and Bottom that worked together? Page and Bottom that worked together, or Page plant, and uh, plant, plant and Bottom were in a band together, I believe. And I believe Plant and Bottom, yeah. that's right. And it was Page and uh, what uh, you call it that had been working in the studio now and again with each right, other, right? Because of the Yardbirds, um, um John right. Paul Jones, and, John and Paul actually, Jones. actually, initially. Basically, Jimmy Page wanted to recruit the Who. I mean, I, I was like, yes. he would he would have hired Roger Daltrey in a heartbeat, and actually, uh, not Roger Daltrey. Um, he wanted to steal John Entwistle from yep. the Who, like really badly, 
and Keith Moon. And that's where Keith Moon said it would go over like a Led Zeppelin. Right. So that, that would go over like a Led Zeppelin, and that way came the name of the band. Yeah. Um, um, I'm let's look- see. Ace was a um, was a studio band, um, and there were a lot of studio musicians and songwriters. That that became the era of a singer songwriter. Right. Um, well, and so like and it's you not said, country music. <laughs> Right, and that's where Larry Colton comes in. So you take a Carol K, um, a Carol King, um, Joni Mitchell, uh, and those folks, and they were on they were on their rise at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, if you think about that, mid to late seventies, then you've got again from the area of the Swampers, you've got the Eagles, you've got the um, uh, which some of them were from the East Coast, some were West Coast, and a. Sandwiched together. Glenn Fry is a uh, Northern Floridian um, or Southern uh, um, Georgia, one of the two. Um, he hung out with Tom Petty. Of course, you got Tom Petty and Heartbreakers. You had uh, um, just this this whole uh, genre of people who it, it was such a short time. When you think about the the amount of time they were talking about this uh, on uh, Piatto's thing the other, the other day. It was actually a different one. It was a music geek or something. But anyway, mm-hmm. where the the life of the record album, somebody like me thinks, oh, it was this huge, but it was only, it wasn't even half my life. No, no. I mean, the, the record album just happened to be the half that formulated my thoughts and, and perceptions of music. Yeah, which CDs, is lasted a, CDs lasted a really long time. Um, CDs lasted almost as long as a record. Yeah, that's why I'm, that's why I was kind of pointing out like, yeah, the record. So it, there's a little bit a little bit more there because so like there are different styles of record. Like there was 45s and there was you know so like um, then they had the long playing and all that stuff. Yep. Um, and that goes back to the 30s. Uh, right. I mean, the first commercially available recordings were really sold on record in the 30s and the, and probably the late 20s. I I don't know the exact time period, but. Um, by 1970, they were already starting to look at other formats as a way to distribute music. Yeah, they had um, been looking at that years. for a while. As a matter of fact, the, the the math on a compact disc started in the 60s. It didn't get released until 1982. That was the official, yeah. me, the official year, folks. But, it was 1982. But, in the, but oh. in the interim, we had what? We had 8-track, right? We had cassette tapes. Yep. Uh, and it really wasn't until CD kill CD really killed vinyl. I mean, when that happened, that was that was the end of it, right? Um, but you well, already, record company read along with the CDs, yeah, yeah, and and of course, but um, so that's but my point is, forty years, the CD is introduced in nineteen eighty two. Um, I remember they stopped making records in the mid nineties, like ninety four, ninety five ish. Um, they were starting to decline. Um, and yep. I know by I know by the I know by 2000 they were no longer producing records, um, right? And, and they accepted super small quantities of very specific things. Um, yep. And so that let that puts the trajectory from the 30s to the to the 90s, and even then it's it's antiquity in the 90s at that point. Right. Um, yeah, I can remember it was somewhere in the mid 90s they said we are the big record companies EMI, yeah, Columbia, yeah. those 60 years. We're not doing anymore. 60 years. Yeah. CD comes out 82, 
runs to what? Because uh, the CD has not stopped being produced yet, uh, but I would say it's no longer the dominant distribution platform. Yeah. Um, no. It is still the dominant physical distribution platform. Um, CDs began in 82. It is now 2020. So yep. that's what, 40 years? I mean, we're years. almost to the age of records with CDs. It's another 20 years. Yep. And right. I could definitely see us going there, uh, especially in the third, because the third world has not readily adopted things like streaming music, um, which well, is it's a yeah, whole other, there's yeah. a whole other like comment on that. But, but that's, I mean, they're still going to press, they're still at press CDs. Um, yeah. And if you're, I can tell you, there was so I, there. Had a, I had a little record player when I was a little kid. I had this little, I'll never forget it. It was one of those, you, you'd see them now, people people will kill for these things. It was this little white. Like the Fisher-Price um, record player. Like a, well, it was it was better than the Fisher-Price, but it had a little speaker on it. And it was um, in a white container. It was a little bit bigger than a than a lunchbox, obviously. But <clears throat> that it, it was effectively a, an oversized lunchbox. Um, and I'd open it up. And it had you know, a crappy plastic, you know, thing on it. And I would get records. This is no kidding, folks. I would get records on the back of a cereal box. So you'd go to the store and you, and I beg my mom, I got to have that bowl of, or I got to have that box of cereal. Not because I even cared what was in it. Yeah. You never ate the cereal. (laughs) They had a record on the back Yeah, and you'd get this, this cardboard record. I kid you not. It was, it was just the vinyl laid over the cardboard and it didn't last long. I could tell you that. <laughs> so here's, here's the crazy thing. And this is how we're going to end the episode. I'm, I'm going to give the timeline of how I experienced recordings in my lifetime because I was born in 1984. So when I, when I was born, my son's looking at a car that's older than you. Yeah. He's looking at buying a car, 1982 Fiat. 2000 spider anyway uh i i have i have a lot of thoughts about that too but um i understand but i have a lot of thoughts about it too um when i was born i can remember the first recordings like that i was like consciously aware of what we were doing were um were records played on a giant hi-fi system and it looked like a giant console um and we had it had an eight track on it and it also had a record player and it had, I mean, this was fancy piece of equipment. Um, it had RCA inputs, I think, or on it as well. So you could put other equipment through it, but I can remember using that. Um, we had, of course, the regular hi-fi system was part of our, uh, television, which had a record player and it had a CD player. And I can remember looking at the graphic equalizer bouncing up and down and going, Whoa, that's the coolest thing ever. Back when that oh, was yeah. like the thing. Now you buy a Bose system and you plug an iPod into it. You know, it's, it's totally different. Animal. Yeah. And the, and the more understated, the better, right? Yeah. It's just a so, black box. So, um, then I can remember the first record I ever bought was on, was on CD. I wanted to buy it on cassette because cassette was cheaper. And my mom was like, you're not buying a cassette. <laughs> like, I, listen, I know better. <laughs> um, and uh, so I remember my brother had a, a bunch of cassettes. He had like the big, you know, cassette holder thing that had like, you know, 
Yep. Um, he was listening to like Vanilla Ice and stuff, you know, on cassette. And um, I can remember like cassettes a little bit and cassette players in cars and then having the cassette with the thing out for this, you know, for the external CD player. Um, I can remember having one of the first like uh, common cars that came with a CD player installed by default. Um, and then I remember watching the morning news when the iPod was first announced and thinking, wow, that's never going to take off uh, because I was like, nobody's going to pay $400 for a music player. Um, and of course that blew up because apparently Apple is, you know, more attractive than God. I don't know. Um, and the rest is history. Like I have lived through literally every major recording format other than, you know, like wax cylinders in my lifetime. I mean, I've lived through all of it. And the one that, the one that makes me laugh the hardest, Jim, is the mini disc. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Those I, lasted about a week, didn't they? I yeah, mean, yeah. I, well, it, apparently it's still a thing in foreign countries, but uh, so, all right. I was an adult when the switchover was going from record to CD and the the battle between the consumer and the distributors was simple. The if you're a record company, right, or a record store, right, and you're gonna carry just like any other thing, you've got to carry a certain number of everything, right? So they're gonna send you, let's say, uh Madonna put out her new album. Okay. That's the time frame. They're gonna so wanna just- send you CDs. And you're going to want vinyl because nobody has CD players yet. So they're going to send you, they're going to say, all right, we want you to have CDs and you're going to have vinyl. So you need vinyl. The problem is Papa don't preach comes out, right? <laughs> so you're sitting there and you're going, if you're, you're thinking, you go, all right, I got to have, you know, 200 Papa don't preach 45s. I got to have say a um, hundred and a half, uh, copies of, and we're only talking maybe first day or first week or whatever, hundred and a half of, uh, you know, at a tower records of, uh, the album. And then I got to get CDs and you're like, who's going to buy a CD player They're there in 1984, 85, they were, uh, I want to say $800, like, $900 yeah, at that point, $800. And, uh, I, I know I've told the story before. I paid 150 for my first one. I was lucky. I got it to a Montgomery Wars when we were going out of business. I got it for like 90% off. Well, they, they were – so another point of that, um, the reason why the, the systems were so expensive originally, of course, first, first and foremost the technology. But second was people forget that you could buy two-track tape that was like super high-quality recordings, and it was a real popular yeah. thing um, amongst audiophiles. And that yeah. they thought CD was going to hit that market. That's what they were aiming for: was to replace the two track, the two track magnetic tape market with yep. this medium, and it just didn't right. end up working out. It was like and, and, replaced instead. <laughs> right, and at that time, a lot of bands, Pink Floyd was particularly one of them, because the people who loved the quadraphonic and the, and the higher end sound um, would buy the stoner rock type stuff, and they would buy, there was literally gold records 
that you mm-hmm. can buy these things were the price that you're paying for albums now. You're like forty, forty-five dollars. They were supposed to be just like the master, album. basically. The whole idea was they had superior fidelity. Yeah, and they were super heavy, super strong. You had to have a special, and and I don't know if you remember this company. It was a company called Nakamichi that would make these high-end stereo systems. Yep. Um, that was a popular one. Up, yeah, Nakamichi and Macintosh. Not to be confused with Macintosh computers. Um, that right, it was Macintosh um, that had these hugely expensive stereos. That are you know Bose was nobody back then, but my point is, I think it, what, there was a lot of pushback from people like Tower Records and people like that saying, "Hey, you got to pick a format. We can't carry all these copies of Madonna's latest album, right? And so you got to pick a format, and stick to it, and you've got to bring. And I think record companies had to push for that to bring the prices down of uh, CDs and players so what they started to do was they were they were artificially increasing the price of a record to get you to push to buy the cds because cds at that time you could get a record for you know an an album for like eight ten dollars you get the same cd was 16 to 20 dollars at that time yeah yeah i can remember i can remember the first albums i was buying were like 18 bucks and then by the time that at the end of my teenage years, there were 11 bucks. Yeah. Um, so uh, anyway, yeah. So Nakamichi is still around apparently. Um, I don't know if it's really the really? same company or if it's just the name, but they're, yeah. They're, and, and they're selling through Best Buy, I guess. Um, they're about us says that they were founded in 1948. Um, oh. have been producing high quality audio systems ever since. Um, yeah. And it's a very, I'll be dang, they are. They are still around. Um, and wow. there, are, there are a lot of companies like that that, you know, Macintosh is still around as well. Um, and they do yeah, two, two, no, two, two power systems and stuff uh, for the audiophile market. If you've never explored the audiophile market, it's worth a look. Um, you might find some... Um, actually, you might find some listenership if you go through that, that path, if you're into a specific genre of music, because uh, those guys will listen to... Um, very obscure stuff as long as the quality is good Um, so anyway I have been David I'm a Jim and tonight we have been Practical Guitarists yes we have